Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Teach us to pray. Thank you, Christy. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. We having a good week? Enjoying the air conditioning this morning? Summer has finally shown up, right? Uh, dropped our kids off at kids camp yesterday. Uh, and they're having a blast. We have uh, a number of young boys and girls up there at camp, along with some of our leaders. Pastor Megan is up there with them. She texted me early this morning, early this morning, <laughs> said, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Um, but be praying for our, for our kids and for, uh, for those that are up there uh, leading them Camp is an amazing time. I know our youth went last weekend and had a powerful time in the presence of the Lord and just had a a lot of fun. Camp is a lot of fun. Um, But our kids are up there, and and God's going to just do amazing things. Got to hear a little bit of the message, the speaker last night, and and he had them fired up and speaking the truth of God's word right into their lives. And uh, they are part of the yellow team, and so be cheering for the yellow team as you pray. We don't, we don't pray that they're going to win, because that wouldn't be right, right? But we pray that they're going to have a good time, uh, and we look forward to bringing you an update about camp. Also, you'll notice on the back of the seat uh, in front of you, there's a, a summer flyer. talks about some of the things going on this summer. Uh, I can't believe that we're kind of halfway through already. It's just flying by. But I want to draw your attention to one thing. Uh, we have a beach day coming up, and I, I believe on the summer flyer it says, Beach Day at Bolsa Chica. And that is changing. Uh, we've changed the location. It's actually going to be at Huntington Beach. Uh, we found a really kid, good, kid-friendly spot uh, just off of Brookhurst, and we'll have more information. That's Saturday, August 3rd, uh, and uh, there's some of us going down really early to save a spot and save a fire pit, and we're just going to be there throughout the day. It's a great chance just to come hang out, uh, to have some fun in the sun. We're going to have a bonfire and do s'mores and uh, and just have a good time as a church family. So we encourage you to come uh, and be a part of that. Well, we're continuing our series this morning on prayer, uh, our series entitled Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. And, uh, you know, as I've been mentioning these last few weeks, prayer is is such an important part of our lives as believers. In fact, it's not just important, it's a critical part of our lives as believers, uh, the Christian that doesn't pray is going to struggle in their faith, is going to struggle in their walk. And, and at the end of the day, if you're not praying, you're not growing your relationship with the Lord. And as we like to say around here, it's all about relationship. In fact, uh, prayer is relational before it's utilitarian. Prayer is about having a conversation with a dialogue, with intimacy with our Heavenly Father before it's a, it has anything to do with trying to get something done or get something from God. It's about establishing and building a deeper relationship with Him. The title of our series comes out of Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 13. You can turn in your Bibles there this morning. Um, we're going we're gonna to be in a couple of places today. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 is uh, a spot we're going to be at as well. By the way, the notes for this message uh, are available on the, the Thrive app. You can download that uh, uh, through the, the Google Play Store, through the App Store, and you can follow along with those, those verses um, so Luke 11 and then Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Verse 1 in uh, Luke 11 says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day your daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus, teach us to pray. This is the cry of the disciples' heart 
They had observed the life of Jesus and the way that he went to the Father, the kind of relationship he had with his heavenly Father. And they're saying, Jesus, we want to learn to pray. We've seen John teaching his disciples, and we, and we know that's good, but we want you to teach us. Because what we see in your life is something that we want. Teach us to pray. And, and my prayer and my desire is that us as a church, and we as a church would, would have that same heart. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to move deeper into things that concern your kingdom. Lord, teach us to, to, to have a deeper relationship with you, to, to walk more closely with you. How, do you. how many of you know that in life, the things that matter don't just happen, right? The things that matter don't just happen. Good marriages don't just happen. Good parenting doesn't just happen. Diligence in your work and in your finances doesn't just happen. You have to, there's a learning curve. Am I right? Sometimes there's a really steep learning curve. I love talking with friends of ours just had a baby a few weeks ago. In fact, she's, she's a month old yesterday, and we were talking to them yesterday, and their eyes are still just kind of like glazed over a little bit, and, and, and they're so excited and exuberant, and just that sense of overwhelm, right? Just, this is so much. There's this little life that, that we've been entrusted with. There's a steep learning curve. Now, thankfully, there's lots of resources, whether it's your marriage or your parenting, uh, whether your work, your finances, raising a baby, there's, there's resources there, and we have to put time and effort into learning how to do those things better. There's investment that's needed. This morning, I want to speak to us about praying in the face of opposition, praying in the face of, in, of opposition. I've wanted this series to be as practical as possible. I, I really didn't want to have a dialogue about uh, the theory of prayer. I think there's a lot of things that we can talk about, but never actually do. I was saying last Sunday, you know, if you know all the ins and outs of the stock market, and you can predict where things are headed and what the trends are, and right, if you can, if you can decipher all of the ticker tape stuff and all of the right, you know the you just know how it works. That's great, but if you never actually invest money. You're not going to ever have a return. And so knowing things is great, but knowing things and acting on what you know is so much better. Our goal is not just to know about prayer, but in this series to be equipped to actually do some things. So praying in the face of opposition. Here's what we know from Scripture, is that when we face opposition, there's there's something behind that right? People are not the enemy. Circumstances are not the enemy. The government is not the enemy. The culture is not the enemy. And I got to tell you right now, in church culture, in the church world, we, we have a lot of people who will raise their voices against the culture and against the government and against people who don't agree and against other believers. And what we really fail to do very often is this, is to actually go to the real issue. Ephesians 6.12 says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's huge. Paul here is saying, listen, we so often kind of devolve into fighting the battle against things that we can see, things that are tangible. More often than not, that, that's people. We come against people. And his, his encouragement here in 6.12 of Ephesians is this, as he's getting ready to talk about the armor of God, is this. Bring the battle to where the battle needs to be fought. Stop fighting people. And bring the, the battle, bring the fight to the enemy. When we face opposition in our lives, it's almost always because the enemy is behind it. That the enemy wants to resist us. The enemy wants to stop the forward progress in our lives. So, so opposition this morning can be whatever you need. You can define that. You can... Kind of spell that out in your life. I don't want to tell you what opposition is. You know what opposition is. Can I get an amen? amen. 
All right? We, we get opposition. What we need to do, though, is know in the, in the midst of opposition or in the face of opposition, how do we respond in prayer? What is God calling us to do? 2 Corinthians 10, 2-4, Paul writes this, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Let me stop for a second. Paul's speaking to the Corinthian church, and the two letters to the Corinthians are great because they're just super practical. In fact, so many of Paul's pastoral epistles just have some practical information. And here, as, as an apostle, as a steward of the church of Jesus Christ, he's saying to them, listen, there's some stuff that's going on in your church, and, and I need you to figure it out because by the time I get there, I don't want to have to deal with it in the way that I, I think I'm going to have to deal with it. And I love that Paul says, listen, I'm going to have to be bold. Because what's happening in the church here in Corinth is the same thing we see happening in the church today. Is that believers forget that we're a part of another kingdom and we start modeling our behavior according to the pattern of this world. If other people are doing it, it must be okay to do. No, no, we're not citizens of this kingdom. That we're citizens of heaven and God's called us to live differently He says in verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And Paul says, listen, there's going to be things that pop up in the flesh, things that you can see, opposition and, and issues that come up. But we don't fight the way the world fights. We fight the way that God fights. We fight with the tools that he's given us. And those tools are not a, 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 tools against flesh and blood. They're spiritual, spiritual tools that are powerful for tearing down the strongholds. Do you know that there are spiritual strongholds in the city of Glendora? There are spiritual strongholds that have been established in this place, in this city, that need to be torn down and it's not about us as a church just trying to be nice and have a positive impact in our community and just love on people and smile and right just shiny happy people holding hands right (laughs) that we are warriors in the kingdom of God and we have been assigned to this community by the by the living God by the spirit of God to tear down strongholds That's our mandate. That's our calling. God calls us to that. So when we face opposition, we have to recognize I'm not facing opposition just as a person, not just as a a citizen, not as as someone who, who doesn't have an assignment. I'm facing opposition as a son or a daughter of the Most High God, as someone who's being called to engage in battle. We have to change our perspective. I want to unpack a story that we find in Acts chapter 3 and 4 that highlights the practicality of this at the very outset of the church. We see in Acts chapter 1 and 2, Jesus is telling the disciples to wait, wait in the upper room for the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit that will come upon them. And he says, you know, I have to leave. He empowers them and he, he commands them, charges them, says, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. I've given you authority. Now go preach the gospel. But, but, but that's going to come in a minute. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And I have to leave. And it's good for you that I go. Then he'll come and he'll teach you and he'll guide you and he'll empower you. Acts chapter 1 and then Acts chapter 2, we see them in the upper room. They get filled with the Spirit. There's a huge commotion. People are going, what is up with these people? They're, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and they're drunk, right? These Christians are weirdos. See, nothing new. And, and then the people go, what is going on? And Peter gets up and here's Peter who all he ever did was put his foot in his mouth. Not all, but a lot of the time. And he gets up and preaches a message and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. 3,000 people get saved in this moment as this man preaches the gospel. And we see the church take off like crazy. 
And that's Acts chapter 2. By Acts chapter 3, we find Peter and John going into the temple to pray. And on their way in, there's a man at the gate who's lame. He's been lame from birth. He's in his 40s, and he's never walked a day in his life. And in that culture, if you, had, if you lacked the ability to walk, you had no value in that society. You were not a contributing member. And so his family would just set him at the gate. And the best that they could hope for is he could beg and get some money from people passing by. And maybe you're familiar with this story. Peter and John are walking by and he calls out to them and he says, Would you please give me something? And Peter and John turn to him and they say to him, Look at us. Look at us. And they acknowledge They acknowledge him as a human being because as a beggar, his head would have been down. They say, we don't have silver and gold, but what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk. I love that. And I love the song. The song, anyone have the song just playing through your head right now from Sunday school? Walking and leaping and praising God? And yeah, okay, maybe it's just me. Um, Pastor Pastor Debs or the kids, she she would be on board with that. And he gets up and he starts not just walking, but leaping and jumping and praising God. And I love that there's a twofold miracle here. Not only is he, his legs healed, but you've watched a baby learning to walk, right? It doesn't happen, right, quickly. Yet here's this man who's never walked in his life and immediately not only are his legs strengthened, but he has the ability to walk and leap and jump. And it's just the fullness of this miracle that takes place. And, and here's what I love. For his whole life, he had watched people going into the temple to pray. And on this day, he got up and he walked in with them. They invited him to join them. And he goes into the temple and prays with them and worships with them. Of course, this creates a lot of commotion. People are seeing him and going, wait a minute, that's the guy that was at the gate. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple guard and and all of the people in, in charge who thought that when Jesus died and when he was removed from the picture that all of that madness was over. And much to their chagrin... Here it's happening again. And they start opposing Peter and John. In fact, as they're preaching, they start preaching the gospel because this draws a crowd. And and what what Acts chapter chapter 3 tells us is this, that another 2,000 people give their lives to the Lord. So now we have 5,000 people in the early church. That's church growth, people. That's church growth, and all they're doing is preaching the gospel. Imagine that. Well, the leaders don't like this, and so what do they do? They arrest Peter and John. They arrest them. They bring them before their council. They, they rebuke them. In fact, they, they arrest them. It was late. They leave them in jail overnight, and then they bring them before the, the, the council there, the Sanhedrin, and they say, listen, we're going to give you some instructions. We're going to tell you, you, you cannot do this anymore. See, there was fear on the p- part of the leadership because they couldn't deny what was happening. There was a man who didn't walk, who everyone knew he couldn't walk, and now he could walk. But they didn't want to lose their power. They didn't want these unschooled people to have influence in their temple. Well, and that was the problem. They thought it was their temple, Right? <laughs> Finally, they give instruction to Peter and John and say, listen, we're going to let you go, but you may not preach in Jesus' name anymore. And of course, Peter and John say, well, that's not going to happen. But because of their fear, they can't do anything and they release them. So this, that's the backstory, and we need the backstory to understand what happens next in Acts chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, verse 23, here's what happens. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. 
Indeed, Herod, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's a great, great story. I have six points that I want to move through pretty quickly this morning. Again, the notes are on the app, or if you want to write them down, the points will be up on the screen along with some of the verses that we share. I love that when Peter and John are released, they go back to their community of faith. And they tell them, hey guys, this is what's going on. You notice that there's just no fear. There's no fear. They were bold. And remember, these are the same guys that when Jesus was arrested, they scattered And that wasn't a long time ago. It was just a few weeks prior to that. But here they are being being told, listen, you cannot preach. We forbid you to preach. And they are like, no way. And when they get released, they go back to their community. When they come together, they lift their voices in prayer. First point this morning is this. When we face opposition, it's good to find strength in numbers. It's good to find strength in numbers. Now, now hear my heart. You can go to the Lord on your own, by yourself, be encouraged. You have access. You can come boldly. But I know this, that when we come together shoulder to shoulder, encouraging one another, there is a strength that rises up in the midst of that. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. He didn't send them out on their own. There was always these partner, partnerships, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy, right? We're going to send you out in two. Why? Because when there's a couple of people joined together in, in God-fearing relationship that we can speak life, that we can bring encouragement. Paul, uh, Peter, and, Peter and John come back to the disciples, back to the, back to the church rather, And they find strength in numbers. They come together and say, guys, this is what's up. This is the opposition that we're facing. This is what we're up against. And in the midst of that gathering, they cry out. And it says they raise their voices together in prayer to God. I love that such a huge mark of the the early church was that unity. They were together and had everything in common. And they broke bread and they worshiped and they prayed. And it was just their default setting. I think so often in the church today, our default setting is, I'm going to withdraw and just kind of be by myself. I don't want to bother people. I don't want to let people know what's going on in my life. And, and it's, the very, it's so contrary to the heart of God. He's going, I, I've given you the body of Christ to be a support to each other. And so rather than withdrawing or hiding, they press in and they come together and together they pray. Matthew 18, 19 through 20, Jesus tells us this, I tell you, if two of you agree, uh, uh, on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. It's all about relationship. It's about being connected to other people. And the goal of the enemy is this, it's to isolate us and get us off by ourselves, especially when we face opposition. But how often when we come up against things in our lives that press, that oppose, that are a struggle, we just hide, we pull into our little hole, our cave, and go, you know, I'm just going to hide out till the storm passes. God has given us to each other as a gift that we would seek each other out, that we would stand with each other. Ephesians 4.16 says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I think sometimes we just kind of, we distill this passage down into, hey, we need volunteers at church. <laughs> right? Hey, 
Paul says you need to do your part. So here's the sign-up sheet. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that, that just as a body is joined together with ligaments and bone and flesh and, 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 and everything works the way it's supposed to, it's held together, but it's also strengthened. That as the body, that when we come together, as we stand with each other, it adds strength to the whole body, not just to the individuals. Right. And so we are to press into that, to make use of that. And there's going to be days where one of you is weak and the other is strong. And then, and then the next day, flip-flop that. Right? And the person who always seems like they're strong, it's not always the case. You can hide in public, by the way. You can hide out in public. That there is a, a transparency that needs to be here. To be a part of the body of Christ, we need to find strength in numbers. I remember when I was a kid, my, my family had been a part of YWAM with Youth with a Mission, and we had gone on a, a trip. Uh, we were in, on a missions trip, an outreach trip to Hong Kong, and on the way back from Hong Kong, we had a layover in Honolulu, and we're on our way back to Los Angeles. It was during 1984, it was during the Olympic Games, and um, and we were coming to do ministry here and then travel back to South Africa. And, uh, and we ended up in Honolulu. And it was one of those defining moments in my life uh, with, with my family. Um, we got to Honolulu. Flights had been canceled or delayed. Our luggage, we got our luggage. And um, it was like our luggage was blowing up. Like, things, like the zippers came apart and stuff was falling out. And I just remember we're standing at the counter in Honolulu Airport. Which sounds great, right? You're like, you're in Hawaii. But it's humid and it's hot. And we've been, tr we've been on a plane for hours and hours and hours. We've crossed the international date line, right? So we've gone back in time. And like, it's just, you don't know if you're awake or if you're asleep. And um, I just remember we, we had our family just kind of huddled together. And my dad's talking to the person at the counter and trying to figure out what flight we can get on. And... Um, and I, I just remember him coming back to our family, and five of us, and he just says, hey, this isn't going well. We need to pray. And as a family, we just came together, and we just sought the Lord. And we just started saying, Lord, thank you that you're in the midst of this. God, thank you that you're moving. God, we thank you that we get to serve you and we get to travel and do these things in your name. And God, you're in control. We're trusting you. And we didn't have a ton of those moments with our family, but I, I mean, I was, I was 11 years old and I can remember exactly where we were standing. I can remember the sound of the duct tape as we wrapped up our suitcases. No sooner had we said amen that this lady comes out from behind the counter, runs up to us and says, where's your luggage? What is your luggage? Another guy shows up with a cart, throws all the luggage on the cart. And we're like, what's going on? She goes, I'll tell you in a minute. A golf cart shows up. You ever seen those in the airport? And you're like, I want to ride on one of those. We got to ride on, and they whisked us away to this gate, bypassed security, got us on this plane, and within minutes of praying this prayer, we're sitting in this aircraft ready to go, not even knowing what just happened. When, <laughs> when, when we come together, listen, God could have done, answered the prayer prior to that, but I believe that he gave us a gift as a family and said, this is what happens when you come together. So whether it's with your spouse, with a friend, with your children as a family, uh, with, with, a, with someone in the, in, in the congregation, a brother and sister in the Lord, when we pray as a whole church like we're going to do on Wednesday night, God is more concerned about what he's doing in us than just answering the prayer. When these came together, when the early church came together and they cried out to God, God was building their unity. He was doing something deeper inside of them. So find strength in numbers. Second is this, put the focus back on God. It says, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Kind of like when Jesus, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, and the first thing he addresses is the sovereignty of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, you made everything. 
Does it fit within the context? Maybe not, not at first, maybe not obviously, but when we understand the goal here, absolutely. See, we can get so focused on the circumstance in front of us or what we're, on the emotion that we're feeling that we forget that God is God. That He is sovereign. God, you made the heavens, you made the earth and the sea and everything in them. Listen, God, there's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing too hard for you. And we're facing opposition from these leaders. And we've been told what we can't do. But God, you are firmly in control. We need to get our focus back on God. When you find yourself being opposed in whatever form that takes, Make sure that, that the first thing that you do is come back and go, God, you know what's up. You know what you're doing. God, I surrender my life before you. I turn my eyes back to you. The next thing they do this is, in point three is this. They turn to the word. They turn to the word. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through your mouth, the, the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together, together against the Lord and against his anointed. You know what they do is they use the word of God as a reminder that this isn't a surprise. We have the ability and we have the gift to be able to pray Scripture, can I tell you, as you develop the discipline of prayer and you find yourself getting stuck, just simply open your Bible and pray Scripture. Pray Scripture back to God. God, here's what you say. This is what your word declares. Understanding that when we pray Scripture, it does something inside of us. Ephesians 6 tells us that, that, that we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's this offensive weapon that we have in our hands to drive back the enemy, to drive back the, the, the opposer, the one that is behind whatever the circumstance is, and that with the Word of God that we can press Him back, that we can speak the Word over the circumstances and situations in our lives. We can remember the Word of God and be reminded that God, again, in His sovereignty, understands and knows everything that's going on. Here they quote David. Now remember, listen, we're no different to, to our father David who wrote, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Even for David, there was opposition. There was a lot of opposition. And the kings of the earth rise up against the Lord's anointed one. And whenever God raises up men and women to stand for truth, there will be opposition. It's always been that way. It will be that way till Jesus returns. It's just the way things are. And so when we get discouraged in the midst of the opposition, that when we turn to the word of God and pray the word of God, there is a release of power that comes through it. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is alive and active. The Holy Spirit enlivens the word in our moment, in our circumstance, to do battle, to tear down strongholds. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus is led out into the desert after he's baptized and filled with the Spirit. And the tempter comes to him in Matthew 4, verse 3. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written. And he goes on, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but four times Satan comes against him and tempts him. And by the way, the, the, the temptation that the enemy brings was within his authority to bring. The things that he promised was within his realm of authority. Because, that because of the fall, Satan was the ruler and the prince of the air of this world. And so everything that he brings to Jesus, he could actually do, but it wouldn't fulfill the mission of Jesus. So what he offers Jesus are shortcuts and a bypass around the cross. But the ultimate goal would not have been achieved. And so Jesus doesn't enter into an argument with Satan. He doesn't enter into a dialogue. He just simply does this. He goes, it is written. And he quotes the word of God back to Satan. 
Because the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword of the Spirit will cut down the lies of the enemy and the opposition of the enemy every time. Can I tell you, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. Pray Scripture. Turn to the Word of God. Ask yourself, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of things not going right, going sideways, say, what does God's Word say about this? And if you don't know, Google it. What does God's word say about? And find out. If you don't know, ask someone. Text someone. But find out what God's word says. I guarantee you will be encouraged and you will be empowered. Pray the word of God. The next thing they do, point four is this, they get the problem into perspective. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, this is still a part of their prayer. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Can I tell you this morning that God is not surprised when we face opposition? That God does not look at our lives and see the issues that we deal with and go, oh, I didn't see that coming. I'm not sure what to do. That we do not serve a hand-wringing, no-options kind of God. In fact, he knew before the opposition happened that the opposition would happen. He knew that Jesus would face the things that he would face. He knows that you're going to walk through the things that you're walking through. And his heart is for you. It is not against you. We should not be surprised. See, we need to get the problem into perspective. And the perspective is this, is that as sons and daughters of God, we will face trials and tribulations and opposition in this life. And so when we just simply pray, and so often people's prayer lives are made up of God bless me and make sure that my life is comfortable and that there's no pain and that I'm just, right, that I can just coast through this thing. Well, that's actually not a prayer that's in line with the Word of God. Because if there's no opposition, it probably means you're not being effective in the kingdom. Now, it seems a little ridiculous to say, God, just bring on the opposition, we don't have to invite it. It's going to happen. The enemy, the enemy is a roaring lion seeking those he, he may devour. But when you're in the army of God, when you are fighting these spiritual battles, when you are on the front, front line when the fight, where the fighting is the fiercest, you're going to know that you're in a battle. And rather than shying away from the battle, that we would equip ourselves to fight the fight. To get the problem into perspective and say, yeah, I'm facing a mountain, but I'm, I'm serving the God who created the mountains. The hills melt like wax in the presence of God. That he knew before the foundations of the earth that I would be facing what I'm facing, which God, that means that you're going to be able to give me what I need to stand in the face of this opposition. It's about the perspective. And church, tell me, I'm, uh, tell me I'm not wrong here that we lose perspective so easily. So easily. The smallest thing happens, the smallest point of opposition, and we just kind of go into the freak out mode. God's going, no, take your stand. Take your stand. Get this into perspective. Can, can I point something out here real quick? They've actually not prayed anything at this point about actually dealing with the issue. There's been nothing yet that says, hey God, would you just fix those people? Deal with those knuckleheads. They're, they're praying about who God is. They're praying about his sovereignty. They're praying about themselves. Number five. Verse 29, they make their request known. After all of this, after the worship, the prayer, the putting God in his rightful place, keeping his, their eyes on him, getting the problem into perspective, praying his word, speaking and declaring his word, 
they finally get to the place where they ask. Where they bring the issue before the Lord. Verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love this prayer. I love this prayer. I love that they don't go, hey, God, would you just take those people out? Would you just come against them? I I tell you sometimes, and and I deal with this, I want to pray spiteful prayers. God, would you just, and and we hear it, and listen, it's not that it's okay, but we even hear that David does this. Lord, break their teeth, right? God, just break their, make them fall into the hole that they dug. What I love with David, it never stops there. Then, like, there's the softening that happens when he realizes, okay, God, I have a bad attitude. Deal with me, right? Deal with me. Here, the church is going, Lord, we're facing opposition from the same people that killed Jesus. So, Lord, would you do something in us? Would you give us boldness to speak your word? They don't say this, God, remove the opposition, take away the obstacles, make things easier. They just say, hey, as Lord, as things get more difficult, would you just cause us to be bolder? Would you give us an increase in our faith so that we can stand? Would you stretch out your hand to heal? Would you perform signs and wonders through the name of your, ho- uh, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? God, we just need more of you to deal with what we're facing. Historically, we know this through the studies that have been done, is that the church always grows more rapidly in the face of persecution. In the, when there is an absence of persecution, the spread and the growth of the church slows way, way down. We see that all the way from Turkey, where the early church was started, as it spread up into Europe and then over to the Americas, and of course down through South America and through the rest of the world. But that kind of as it's made that journey, we know this in, in, in the Far East and in Africa and South America, the gospel in the church is just exploding. And it's the places where we see the greatest opposition. But in places where there's relatively little opposition, Europe, North America, what we see is the church in decline. And by the way, People saying mean things about the church. It can feel like opposition. It can feel like persecution. But I know this, that we have brothers and sisters around the world who put their lives on the line every day for the sake of the gospel. And I think it would be fair fair to say this morning that maybe the church in the West needs to toughen up a little bit. That we need to toughen up, not so we just, oh, we're, but because we're soldiers in the kingdom of God, that we're called to wage war. Their prayer is this, God, give us the ability to preach with great boldness. Lord, cause us not to shy back in the face of opposition, but to be able to take our stand, which by the, by the way, they do. They do. There's a season for the church where they're kind of left alone. And then all of a sudden, the rulers and the leaders of that day recognize, no, these these people are a threat. And they try to stamp them out and crush them. And every time governments and leaders and the enemy would try and destroy the church, all it did was cause it to spread even further. Every single time. Why? Because they prayed a prayer that said, God, in the face of opposition, cause us to be bold, to preach your word, to see miracles take place. Church, what if, what if just here at Thrive Church, we started praying prayers like that? God, we know that there are strongholds in this community. We know that there's opposition and there's things that we're coming up against. But would you give us the boldness to stand to preach your word. God, would you give us the boldness to pray in such a way that we see people being miraculously healed, that there would be signs and wonders. There's no good reason that what happened in the early church doesn't have to happen today. 
the same God, the same Lord, the same power. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't have a weakened, watered-down version of the gospel. What he's calling us to do is to take our stand and to, to move away from prayers that are like, oh, Lord, my life is just tough. I'm not, and I'm not, my, my, I do not want to demean or belittle or, or say, hey, the things of life don't matter. They do. But we're not victims, we're victors. We have the victory in Jesus. We have the authority. And it's time for the church to stand and say, God, in the face of opposition, give us boldness. Give us a tenacity to speak your word. Enable your servants to speak. And he will cause us to be a light that shines in the darkness. And finally this morning, know that God will answer. Know that God will answer. For, for those in that room praying, says this, after they prayed, the whole place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. I don't know. It seems like this early church, every time they get together and pray, there's shaking and there's fire, and, right? It sounds like <laughs> California. <laughs> God, we want to experience your presence in such a way that it's tangible. That you would show up in such a way that the building would shake. That the earth would move. I, I can't honestly say that I've ever been a part of a prayer meeting that went that way. But I'd love to be. I was sitting up at Camp Cedarcrest during the 7.1 earthquake. I, I got to tell you, this is such a great moment. I was in a little side room. There was 500 youth worshiping Jesus in the sanctuary. And I had some work to do, so I'm on my computer in this room by myself, and I can hear them worshiping next door, and then the earth starts moving, right? And, I, and there's that moment where you're like, okay, am I dizzy, vertigo? No, I think this is, right? You go through that hole. Is this an earthquake? Yeah, I think it's an earthquake. And you have the dialogue with yourself. And then you were like, oh, no, this is definitely, and then, and then it's like, okay, wait, what am I supposed to, wait, door, no, no, the doorway's the old way, now I need to find a different place, and then I realized there's 500 youth next door, and I'm like, oh, we, we need to figure out the plan, what's the action, what are we going to do, and is this thing going to stop, but here's what I love, we got done, the earthquake got done, and I went out, and, and literally everyone in the sanctuary that was worshiping had no idea there was an earthquake. <laughs> None. In fact, what I heard from kids as they were worshiping was, man, did you feel God just moving in this place? <laughs> right? <laughs> you thought it was the base, yeah. right? God's just like, yeah, worship the Lord. Church, what if that was just our norm? Because when we pray and we, we get the right perspective and we see God for who he is and we pray the, the, the scripture and we ask God to empower us, he will answer that prayer. What if his people prayed? I want to invite you to join us on Wednesday night. Come and pray. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. Maybe the earth will move. Who knows? But even if it doesn't, we know this, that God hears the, the prayer of his children, that we can stand in the face of opposition, and we can know that God is in control, that people are not the enemy, the enemy is the enemy. And let's start really believing together that God is going to tear down the strongholds that exist in our neighborhood, in our community, and to the ends of the earth for the glory of his That's name. Right. Amen. Let's stand together as we close. Would you just lift your hands before the Lord this morning? Just in a sign of receptivity from Him. God, we are together. We're in this place together. Just, just like Peter and John came back to that gathering of people together, and, and they prayed together. 
Church, can we just praise the name of the Lord? Would you just declare his goodness? Can we lift our voices in prayer in this moment together? Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness, for the ways that you move, Lord God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We honor you and we, we magnify your holy name. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our praise, oh God. We lift you on high in this place. We glorify you, Lord Jesus. God, we face opposition, every one of us. Lord, your church is facing opposition. Your children are facing opposition. And God, in the, in the same way that, that, that Paul writes, Lord, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so this morning, God, we recognize that you are seated on your throne, that you are fully in control. You are the God who spoke the, the heavens and the earth into being. You are the one who formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into him, Father God, that there is nothing in all creation that is hidden from you. And so we honor you this morning. And God, we ask that you, in the midst of whatever it is we're facing this morning, God, that you would transform us, that you would empower us, that you would heal us, that you would equip us, Lord, to speak your word boldly, to go out into the world, Lord, and to be able to declare who you are, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, just like you worked through Peter's life and you caused a man who who, Lord, just struggled getting the right words out. All of a sudden, Lord, in, in just a matter of a few days, 5,000 people coming to know you. God, you can move in that way in us. So, Lord, empower your people. Empower your church. Holy Spirit, fill us to overflowing with everything we need to be able to go into our homes, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, Father God to be salt and light, to speak your truth. God, I pray that our prayer would not be that we have the absence of opposition, but God, that as the opposition comes, that we would be able to stand. Knit our hearts together, Lord, so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder and do the work that you've called us to do. Lord, we claim this city, this valley, this county, for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that every broken life, physically, emotionally, relationally, God, that every broken life would be restored. God, for that man who was in his 40s who finally knew how to walk, God, that there are people who are at a stage in life where they feel like the time of hope has come and gone. But God, that you are not done. You are not done, so I pray that you would release your servants, Lord, as we walk by people, that we would look at them and that we would call out life, that we would call out healing, that we de would declare blessing everywhere we go. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.